Our episode today begins with a trip back to March 4th, 1984, when 18-year-old Libby Zion was admitted to the New York hospital. She had a known history of major depressive disorder, for which she had been taking daily phenlazine, a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. In the days leading up to her presentation, she had been complaining of a flu-like ailment with nonspecific symptoms that included strange jerking motions. She was admitted for overnight observation. As she became increasingly agitated, she was given pethidine, a synthetic opioid, and halperidol, a typical antipsychotic. Unfortunately, Libby continued to deteriorate that evening, and she developed hyperthermia at 42 degrees Celsius, before ultimately suffering a cardiac arrest. Her death led to a trial, and while her cause of death was initially reported as pneumonia, the current consensus is that she most likely succumbed to serotonin syndrome. This case highlights the acute and dramatic manner in which hyperthermia syndromes can present, and the clinical acumen an internist must have to make this a not-to-miss diagnosis. Today, our patient has a hyperthermic syndrome, and you are the doctor. When thinking about an individual with elevated body temperature, it is important to distinguish between fever and hyperthermia. Fevers result when endogenous pyroxenes change and elevate the thermoregulatory set point in the hypothalamus. While hyperthermia results due to an imbalance between either excessive heat production or inadequate heat dissipation, irrespective of hypothalamic effect. This episode will focus on two critical causes of hyperthermia serotonin syndrome, and neuroepileptic malignant syndrome. Other causes of hyperthermia do exist, and they include exertion hyperthermia, thyrotoxicosis, fechromocytoma, and malignant hyperthermia. These causes of hyperthermia are beyond the scope of this podcast and will not be covered today. Firstly, it may be helpful to realize that serotonin syndrome occurs as a spectrum of disease you can have a mild to severe manifestation. For serotonin syndrome, remember that serotonin, or 5-hydroxytryptamine-5-HT, is a monoamine neurotransmitter that plays a wide array of roles within the central nervous system, or CNS. These include modulation of attention, cognition, behavior, memory, and thermoregulation. When presynaptic axons containing 5-HT are depolarized, a neurotransmitter is released into the synaptic cleft to act on 5-HT receptors. 5-HT signaling is primarily terminated by the reuptake of the neurotransmitter, a process that is facilitated by the serotonin reuptake transporter, CERT. Notable examples of centrally acting medications that work on this pathway include selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, and monoamine oxidase inhibitors, MAOIs. In response to high concentrations of 5-HT in the synaptic cleft, either from increased release of 5-HT by monoamine oxidase inhibitors or from blockade of the CERT by SSRIs, overactivation of the postsynaptic cleft leads to various disturbances in cognition, behavior, and thermoregulation. Understanding this pathophysiology, we can expect serotonin syndrome to develop with recent start or dose increase in medications and or co-ingestion of recreational substances that amplify the serotoninergic system. 
For neuroepileptic malignant syndrome, note that its pathophysiology remains debated. Given its association with dopamine antagonists, however, central dopaminergic blockade and negrostriatal dopamine pathway impairment are suspected to underlie the dysautonomia and Parkinsonism characteristic of NMS. An alternative theory suggests that peripheral muscle system damage is responsible for the rigidity and tremors. Although not yet well understood, there may also be a genetic component. As studies have demonstrated, overrepresentation of a specific allele responsible for impaired dopamine receptor function and decreased dopaminergic activity among NMS patients. Now, let's talk about our approach. Serotonin syndrome and neuroepileptic malignant syndrome must be considered when seeing a hyperthermic patient on call, on the wards, or in the ED. As with any clinical encounter, but especially when considering a hyperthermic syndrome, start by assessing patient stability. What is their GCS? What are their ABCs? What are their vitals? Given the broad differential for hyperthermia, don't forget to inquire into any recent investigations including of medications and recreational substances. Remember that overdose with up substances, such as anticholinergics, tricyclic antidepressants, and sympathomimetics, but also withdrawal from down substances, such as alcohol, benzodiazepines, and opioids, can present similarly to serotonin syndrome and neuroepileptic malignant syndrome. If your patient's presentation is concerning for a toxidrome, consider connecting with poison control and critical care early. If your patient is stable, you can move forward with a thorough head-to-toe assessment. When suspecting serotonin syndrome, look for the classic triad of mental status changes, sympathetic hyperactivity, and neuromuscular hyperactivity. Symptoms may range from anxiety, agitation, and delirium to seizure or coma, while signs may include abnormal vitals, including hyperthermia, hypertension and tachycardia, as well as diaphoresis, mydriasis, hyperreflexia, and clonus. A formal diagnosis of serotonin syndrome can be made clinically with the Hunter criteria, which is satisfied if your patient, after ingestion of a serotonergic agent, exhibits one of the following. 1. Spontaneous clonus. 2. Inducible clonus plus agitation or diaphoresis. 3 ocular clonus plus agitation or diaphoresis, four, ocular clonus or inducible clonus plus hypertonia plus temperature above 38 degrees Celsius, or five, tremor plus hyperreflexia. Now, let's turn our attention to neuroepileptic malignant syndrome and the clinical contexts that should raise your suspicion about it. Given its pathophysiology, recent initiation of an antipsychotic especially a first-generation antipsychotic such as halperidol or loxapine, would be particularly concerning for NMS. Remember that these medications are strong dopamine 2 receptor antagonists. Second and third-generation antipsychotics are less likely to result in NMS, as their activity extends beyond D2 receptor antagonism, but they have also been implicated. Accordingly, the diagnosis of NMS should be considered in individuals taking any of the aforementioned agents if they present with symptoms and signs captured by the mnemonic HARM, hyperthermia, autonomic instability, rigidity, and mental status changes. Elaborating on four classic features 
Assess for the following. 1. Hyperthermia, as patients with NMS often have temperatures over 38 degrees Celsius, sometimes above 40 degrees Celsius. 2. Autonomic instability, which can manifest as hypertension, tachycardia, increased respiratory rate, and or diaphoresis. 3. Rigidity, or increased tone, independent of direction or velocity of passive motion, plus or minus tremors. And 4. Mental status changes, which can range from hypoactive delirium with mutism and catatonia to hyperactive delirium with confusion and agitation. To summarize, serotonin syndrome and NMS are two distinct clinical entities that need to be considered in a patient with hyperthermia. When you are trying to differentiate between serotonin syndrome and NMS, the following distinctions may prove helpful. 1. In terms of timing, history is ultimately key in differentiating these diagnoses. Serotonin syndrome tends to develop and progress more rapidly than NMS, which can wax and wane over days. For context, serotonin syndrome is known to occur within 24 hours of ingestion or dose increase of a serotonergic agent linear course of serotonin syndrome and abrupt onset versus NMS has a gradual onset. 2. In terms of mental status changes, serotonin syndrome often presents with anxiety, restlessness, and disorientation, while NMS primarily presents with confusion, agitation, and delirium. However, it is important to realize that both these diagnoses occur over a spectrum. 3. In terms of autonomic hyperactivity, both may present with hyperthermia. While NMS will manifest as hyperthermia, diaphoresis, tachycardia, and hypertension, serotonin syndrome will primarily present with GI symptoms, such as vomiting and diarrhea, with mild hyperthermia. NMS hyperthermia tends to be quite dramatic, and as mentioned, may reach temperatures above 40 degrees Celsius. And four, in terms of neuromuscular abnormalities, serotonin syndrome will classically present with myoclonus, brief involuntary muscle jerks, caused by abrupt muscle contracture, hyperreflexia, inducible, overactive, overresponsive bodily reflexes, and tremor, while NMS will usually result in rigidity, resistance to passive movement, irrespective of posture or velocity. Remember that both serotonin syndrome and NMS are clinical diagnoses. Blood work should be ordered to support the diagnosis, to monitor for common complications, and to rule out alternative etiologies. Specifically, send off a CBC with a peripheral blood smear, a coagulation panel, a hemolysis panel, a liver enzyme panel, a urinalysis, and a complete metabolic panel with electrolytes, bicarbonate, and creatinine levels. Check your patient's CK as well since rhabdomyolysis, driven by acute kidney injury and DIC, can be a worrisome manifestation of end-organ damage. Following the diagnosis of serotonin syndrome, consult clinical toxicology or poison control as you initiate treatment with the following principles. Immediate discontinuation of serotonergic agents, supportive care to maintain ABCs, sedation with benzodiazepines, and possible administration of serotonin receptor antagonists. Following a diagnosis of NMS, initiate treatment with the following principles. Again, immediate discontinuation of offending agents, supportive care to maintain ABCs, including both active and passive cooling, and possible administration of benzodiazepines. 
In this case, also consider antidotal therapy with dopamine agonists, and this may occur with specialist consultation. For both serotonin syndrome and NMS, management benefits from collaboration with poison control or toxicology, critical care, and psychiatry. ICU care may be required to ensure the patient's care occurs in a monitored setting. For our Medicine Minute, let's return back to the Libby Zeon case. Libby was taking phenlazine, a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, and upon admission to the hospital was prescribed mepiridine, an opioid that also releases serotonin. Reviewing what we have learned about serotonin syndrome, we can now see the critical pharmodynamic interaction of phenlazine, an monoamine oxidase inhibitor, and mepiridine, which both elevate serotonin concentrations in the synaptic cleft by differing mechanisms. This drug combination was most likely responsible for Libby's presentation of serotonin syndrome. Let's now review a recent Canadian trial looking at the association of lisinolid with the risk of serotonin syndrome in patients receiving antidepressant therapy. A population-based cohort study where 1,134 patients were included. 215 of these patients were taking antidepressants, of which 103 patients were taking SSRIs, 36 were taking SNRIs, 15 were taking tricyclic antidepressants, and 7 were taking NDRIs. No patients were taking monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Patients were prescribed lisinolid, 600 mg, to be taken twice daily. The results of the trial revealed that serotonin syndrome occurred in fewer than six patients. Furthermore, there were no significant differences when looking at secondary outcomes related to consequences from serotonin syndrome, including altered mental status, confusion, hospitalization, or death. The study authors, therefore, concluded that antidepressants did not significantly increase the risk of serotonin syndrome in patients receiving lisinolid therapy. It is important to note, however, that the length of lisinolid therapy was likely short, and therefore the likelihood of any adverse events is likely underestimated. It still remains important to consider this as a drug-drug interaction and is potentially fatal. Thank you for listening to today's episode on serotonin syndrome and neuroepileptic malignant syndrome. This episode was written by Dr. Thomas Kibelow, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Peter Wu, clinical pharmacologist and general internist, and Dr. Jillian Spiegel, general internal medicine.